Our New Testament lesson is found in Ephesians 1, reading verses 15 through 23 this morning. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. As we come to your word this morning, Father, we do ask that you, the King of glory, may speak and that we may listen and hear all that you have given us through your Son, Jesus. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Mi nombre es Chuck. Vivo en Estados Unidos, en la ciudad de Jacksonville. Es en el norte de Florida, no es en el sur, es much, es much, hace calor. Tengo tres hijos, dos niños y una niña. Mi niña es en fuego. Vengo en Cuba. Hablar con ti acerca de dos casas y malas noticias y buenas noticias. Pero mi español es en candela. Ahora necesito usar mi traducir. I will not ask you, to, uh, don't expect you to think I have the gift of tongues. We tend to be a little tighter about that, but this was my presentation for the week. Um, that was as far as I could get. Um, my name is Chuck. I live in the United States, in Jacksonville. It's very hot there, too, so don't worry about me. Um, They were always very concerned for us in Cuba. But I came to Cuba to speak to you about two things, the bad news and the good news. Uh, I have three children, um, two boys, and my little girl, she's on fire. Um, But uh, my Espanol is burning down and broken. It's my favorite Cuban word I learned all week, in candela. Just... It's, it's awesome. Um, but uh, now it's necessary for me to use my translator, and we would move on. We had a wonderful week. Um, it was great to go with our team, with Ken, Holly, Sandy, and Maria, um, who also knows half the island of Cuba, if you just really want to know the truth. Um, I don't think there was anyone who didn't greet her with great joy. Um, but uh, we had a, a wonderful week of ministry, of being together, um, and uh, it, was, um, it was an amazing place to go and serve. We saw many people um, come to faith in Jesus, make professions of faith. We presented the gospel over 400 times uh, to people, uh, which was an amazing four days. That was over 100 gospel presentations a day, and uh, over 300 people professed faith. 
Um, so it was, uh, it was a magnificent trip. I'm grateful to have been sent by you to go and do it. It was spiritually refreshing. Uh, that said, I am a bit uh, cansada today. That is tired. Um, so uh, uh, it, uh, it is good to be back uh, with you. On the flight uh, back to Miami, I spoke with an American tourist who was talking about the things that, uh, that she found similar and the things that she found different um, and how her expectations were wrong in heading to Cuba. And so we had a great conversation about that. Um, and it struck me in having that conversation how different the life of American believers is from Cuban believers, but yet also how similar it is. Um, that there are many things that just aren't that different. And the need for these 300 and some professions of faith, these new believers in Jesus, you know, it's easy to think that their need is different from yours. But here's the thing. You're not special. (laughs) Your need is exactly the same as theirs. And what we deeply need is what the Apostle Paul talks about here in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. That, yes, uh, our brothers and sisters in Cuba have many needs that perhaps we don't, but the primary need, the primary need for them and for you is the same. And what exactly is that? In Paul's prayer, we find the answer. And the answer is simple, is that we need to grasp what is already ours in Christ. This is what Paul's prayer is all about. You find in verses 15 through 17, this is what he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. It's interesting because he prays that they have a spirit, or you could say the spirit, capital S. I I believe that's the preferred translation here. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, that God would give that to you. But you note back earlier in chapter 1, in verses uh, 7 through 9, what is said already. Please read these with me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And Paul here has said that God has lavished wisdom and insight upon us, that he's given us everything through Christ, the mystery of God's will to unite all things in heaven and on earth has already been known, and he has lavished that upon you. It's already been given. And now what he does is he prays that you would have wisdom, and he uses the word revelation, which is closely tied to the word uh, that is used there for insight. And so now he's praying not that you gain new revelation, He's not praying that you gain new wisdom, but that you apprehend what God has already lavished upon you. That when God calls us and he summons us to himself in Jesus, he gives us all of his riches. He pours those upon us. And now Paul is praying 
that we appreciate, that we know fully the privileges, and that the Christian life is a continued experience of apprehending and knowing this great mystery that we are caught up in in Jesus. And that's the primary need for every Christian, for every person who professes faith in Jesus, is that we apprehend everything that is ours. We see this same dynamic work out in multiple ways. Clarence Jackson Jr. In 1996, he won the Powerball Lottery. It was in Connecticut, and not many states had the lottery at this point, but Connecticut did, and Clarence Jackson Jr. won $5.8 million. It makes today's prizes look, uh, it's small compared to today's prizes, but at that time, it was huge. Clarence Jackson Jr. had the winning ticket. The problem was that Clarence Jackson Jr. didn't know it. He had that ticket and the media was on a hunt for the winner of the lottery. They were announcing it all across the state because you actually have a year to claim the winnings. But Clarence Jackson never checked his ticket. He never went back to see if the numbers matched up. He just didn't bother. He assumed he had lost that it was just simply done and over with. And of course, as you think about that situation, you say, well, why? Why didn't he go check the numbers if he bothered to buy a lottery ticket? Why didn't he go back and check the numbers? The money was his. It rightfully belonged to him because he had the matching numbers. It belonged to him, but he had to go in and apprehend it. He had to simply go in and grasp it. It was his. And you say, why? It's just stupid that he didn't go check. And friends, our Lord Jesus would say the same to us. That when we fail to apprehend, when we fail to grasp, when we don't seek to know more of all the wisdom that has been lavished on us, we're like Clarence Jackson Jr. We are the heir of millions. We've been given so much Wisdom, insight, blessing, grace, the love of God poured into our hearts. All of this is ours. And yet so often the struggle for the Christian is that we don't apprehend it. We don't claim our privileges. But this is what God has for us. And there are three things specifically that Paul in his prayer is going to develop that we need to apprehend. He prays that the eyes of their hearts, of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would see three specific things. They already belong to us, they are ours in Jesus, they are not things that we are waiting to obtain, but they are things that we need to apprehend. And these three are our common destiny that we share together. It's our uncommon community and it is the immeasurable resources that God gives to us in Christ. These are the three things that Paul prays for in verses 18 through 20. And so let's look at three, each of these three in turn. First, our common destiny. In verse 18, he prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The word call is very strong, it means summoned. That God summons us, he calls us effectively. That when God calls, we answer. 
because his word, when he speaks, is always creative. When God spoke the world into existence, it happened. And when God calls us, it happens. We come to him. And what we've been called to is a hope. And this hope is not some vague sentiment. It is not a harp and a cloud and a praise song forever. No, God has much more for you. And what he wants for you is to apprehend things which mind has not imagined, that eye has not seen. He wants you to apprehend the beauty of everything he holds out for you. And Paul has already explained what this is. He does so in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 1, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And here it is, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And friends, this is the language of the great restoration when God once again makes heaven and earth a unified place. This is why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. That the great vision of the Christian faith is that God one day will reunite heaven and earth. That the pollution of sin will be purged, it will be, be removed from our world. But it's not that we get whisked away to some other world to some other place, to some spiritual place, but that rather we live and walk with God in this place, free from sin. This is the great hope. This is the plan for the fullness of time. This is what Paul prays the church will apprehend. It's yours. Cash in the ticket. Take him up on it. Let him fill your heart and mind with the dreams of what that can be and how that can motivate you on in this life. This belongs to you. Second thing that Paul's pray, Paul prays for us is about that we recognize the riches of our uncommon community. He moves on from hope and then in the second half of verse 18, he says, what, that we know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You'll note here that he doesn't speak of the glorious inheritance that we have, but rather he is saying that the saints, that is simply God's people. That's not a special class of super Christians, okay? The saints are simply those who have been set apart by God in Jesus Christ. He's saying that God has a glorious inheritance in the saints. That God has a treasured possession. And what does he call that treasured possession? You. <laughs> the church. That God is delighted in the inheritance that he has received after defeating sin and death through Jesus Christ. That you are the war treasure that he won. Now, is that the way that we tend to think about the church? Typically not. I understand. I listen to what people say about churches. I know. That typically when we think about the church, we think of a series of conflicts. We think of strained relationships. We think of bad pastors and the things that they have done to be insensitive. I understand. 
All of that can impact our view of church, and it's unfortunate. But what is more important for the Christian today, with all the church's faults, with all the things that can go wrong in a church, it is for us to apprehend God's view of the church. He wants you to know what he sees as his glorious inheritance. That God doesn't just think of us as individuals who happen to be related by a common faith. That God sees us as local gatherings of believers that are a microcosm of his large heavenly gathering. That God sees himself as having an inheritance in you. That that local gathering is very important to him. And that he wants you to esteem it and see it as a gift and as something glorious because that's how he looks at you. One lady that I met in Cuba, or more properly, Cuba, she was an American and she said, you know, in our church, we're doing it like they did it in the first century. I won't ask any of you to give a confession of whether you've said this or not, but she said, we're doing it like they were in the first century. She noted the hesitation in me in the conversation, praise God, just moved on. Because the first thought in my mind was, oh no, please don't. That's a terrible idea. Are you familiar with Corinth? You don't wanna do things like they did. Or do you know Laodicea? <laughs> do you know what was happening there? That it is easy for us to grow idealistic about what the church should be. And sometimes we project back into history our own idealism. The bottom line is the church has always been a very messy place full of sinful and broken people. But none of that changes God's view of the church. What does he call it? His glorious inheritance. You are the war treasure that he won through Jesus. And he wants you to appreciate it. He wants you to recognize it. In other places, we're gonna find in Ephesians 5, he calls it his bride. And so we can speak bad about the church, we can trash it, but you're talking poorly of someone else's bride. And you know not to do that. <laughs> And so appreciate and understand everything God has given you in the church and what he's doing there and how he views it and the great purposes that he is unfolding. Several years ago, when I was in Arlington, Virginia, I was warned about a new church member and someone told me, be careful, she bites. And, uh, and I experienced that. Very early on, she was very prickly. And, uh, and it hurt. There was a sharpness and a hard edge there that was difficult. And uh, it's what many people have experienced in church of getting to know some of the other saints. And it's one of the things that often colors our opinion about church. But then I had the opportunity to, to talk with this woman. And as we talked there was a certain tenderness that began to emerge. It wasn't because of any skill of mine, it was just that we actually got to sit down, that our interactions weren't casual. As we talked and shared more, it became apparent as to why there were some of the hard edges. 
She wasn't necessarily proud of them, but she had had a very hard life. It was hard. Things that I couldn't even really imagine or understand. But then she also shared about her faith in Jesus. And then this warmness and tenderness began to emerge. And uh, it was embarrassing because this person who I had not defended and I had received the criticisms and then even repeated them most likely, here was God's glorious inheritance, a prize that he won. He does that with individuals. He does that with churches. And he wants us to apprehend and value what he values Friends, that's how we're to approach one another. That's how we approach the entire church, the entire fellowship that God pulls together. Value it like God does. The final thing here that Paul prays for is that we would know the immeasurable resources that are ours. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And Paul here says something outstanding something that's difficult for us to fully appreciate. Because he's communicating to us that the same power that God used to bring Jesus' body back out of the dead is the same power that is at work in you and in the church. Just appreciate that for a moment. (laughs) That the same power that brought somebody back from death is at work in you. And do we apprehend that? Do we really believe that? Do we believe that God has lavished that on us? Are you turning in that lotto ticket in the middle of your struggles and difficulties? Do you cash it in and say, God, I believe that you have given me great power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in me. And so despite my sins being great and my failures being even greater, and despite feeling every bit of my weakness and my frailty, I trust that the power, the risen power of Jesus is at work in me. Friends, that's the dynamic that God wants alive in us. Whether you're young or whether we're old, that we believe that he has immeasurably great power at work in the world. And because Jesus is the pioneer of the new creation, he's the little first fruit. And that now we're waiting the final harvest where he makes all things new. But even now in this great overlap of the ages that's taking place, that resurrection power that brought him back from the dead and by which he ascended to God's right hand and was enthroned, that is at work in you. Recently, I've had to become acquainted with Adobe software. If you know me, I'm not very savvy on a computer. People tell me things that should be apparent and I have to open the computer and say, okay, show me. Even after that, it's not always uh, very fail-safe. But the Adobe package that you buy, uh, and you have a monthly subscription to it, it's amazing. It's what we make bulletins on and do a lot of other things. 
They have a recording program. They have a filmmaking program. They have so many programs that I can't keep up with them. And it's all in a cloud. It's all in a cloud. And so on my computer, there's a little thing at the top. It says the Adobe package. You know, I can click on that. And then I have the program right there. The one that I normally use, Adobe InDesign. And so I click on that, and the program opens. We can do the bulletin. It's all done. It's quick and easy. One of my friends said, well, are you using this other program? I said, which one are you talking about? He says, well, it's the one inside your Adobe package. You just go click up there. And so he embarrassingly clicked on my computer, and he said, it's right here. Oh, you haven't downloaded it. <laughs> because there's like 22 things to download. Who's got the time to do that, you know? I don't want to sit there while it downloads, and I don't want to. I'm just interested in what works for me right now. It's very tangible, okay? Now, the Adobe package is mine. It's bought. It's been paid for. Monthly, it's given to me. And yet I just find myself in need of one or two things in it. Despite having all this capacity, I only use very little of it. Friends, my suspicion is that for most of us, when it comes to the grace of God in our life, we're just like that. We tittle about with it with a few small things that are helpful to us, but we fail to recognize all of this that God has lavished on us, the wisdom that he's poured out, everything that he's given us in Jesus. And Paul is praying that you would always be growing, that your appreciation of your privilege, that you would be overwhelmed. This is what he'll pray in, later in Ephesians 3. And so we want our prayers to join in this same direction, Remember that 1 through 14 is a prayer of praise to God for everything he's given us in Christ. And then he turns in verses 15 through 23, and it's a prayer that we would more fully apprehend everything that's given us in Christ. And these are the two very simple motions of the Christian life. Now, you can go to all kinds of seminars about the spiritual life, okay? People will take your money. You can pay and you can go away for a weekend and sometimes it's a really good thing. They will tell you they have a special teaching and it probably will help. But at the end of the day, it's very simple. It is praising God for what he has given us in Christ. And it's praying that we come to a further understanding and apprehension of what is ours in Christ. That is the whole of the spiritual life. That's what the believer needs, whether they live in Cuba or in the Estados Unidos. No matter nada, double negative. It doesn't matter. It's not important. But this is what is primary. And friends, you can be certain of it. It does all belong to you. And the reason that you can be certain is because it's not from you. You notice that Paul has another one of these verbal avalanches, like verses 1 through 14. And he literally blows up into confessional-type material that deeply informs the Apostles' Creed. But follow with me in verse 20. He's speaking of the great might of God that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then he was seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. 
He's now far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That means no one gets the best of him, okay? This wasn't a democracy, it was a kingship, and Jesus won the holy war. Everything now answers to him is what Paul means when he says, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This doesn't change. He's king, he's enthroned. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things. You remember in Genesis 1, when God created human beings, what did he commission them to do? To have dominion over the earth. That God's reign over the world was going to be mediated by human beings. Hang with me for a second. God always intended for human beings to rule the world. That's the dignity that God has in humanity, in his image. Now we turned against God and everything is upside down, but what Paul is saying here is that a human being who's fully God and fully man is now ruling the world. Everything is now under his feet. The king is back on his throne. And soon he will return to make it all right. And now he's filling the world. This complicated verse in verse 23 says, He is head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is now filling the world through his body, the church, with his presence, with his kingship, with his reign. This is what he's now doing. He's accomplished it. The invasion that matters has happened. And now God is completing, it's the cleanup operation. But there's no doubt that Jesus has won. The battle has already been fought. He is victorious, he is enthroned. And that's why we're certain. And so all that God claims to lavish upon us is certain as well. Apprehend it, take hold of it, grasp it. Fully appreciate everything about you that is yours through Jesus. That's how Paul prays for the church. That is the same spiritual motion that we are to take as well. And so let's ask God to make that the reality for us. Let's pray. We do thank you, Father, for all that is ours in Christ. Everything that is ours is difficult to comprehend. It's a great mystery how you're reconciling all things in heaven and on earth and that you'll remove the pollution of sin, that you have forgiven us through the blood of Jesus, that you empower us in the present life, all these things are ours, but we confess our struggle to believe. We often settle for a small part of your grace. Help us not to settle. May we download the whole thing and apprehend it and want to know more. You've lavished this upon us. Give us in our hearts eyes to see everything that is ours, our hope, our community, and the immeasurable power that you've given us. Work in us, we ask in Christ's name, amen.